Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Gremlins. Do you know how Gizmo got his name? I did not know, but I will share that trivia fact for you later on in this episode. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Well, unfortunately, all news has been canceled due to the release of Star Wars Battlefront. So if you'd like to talk about Star Wars Battlefront, I'll be glad to talk about that. Because that is all I have been playing for the last three to four days. I feel like uh, a high school kid, uh, maybe a college kid. I am a college kid. I know I'm a college old man. Uh, I feel like... A young kid who just got that video game he's been dying for and is going to work with, uh, or maybe school with bloodshot eyes because he's been playing video games late into the night and early in the morning. I have been playing Star Wars Battlefront uh, pretty much nonstop since it came out. Today is, uh, uh, well, today is actually the 20th and it came out on the 17th, you know. I got I got a bone to pick, and it's not with anybody that actually... It's not with the people. I mean, it's not with people in general who work at GameStop. It's with specific employees that work at GameStop. And also, the GameStop culture. And specifically, this whole pre-order thing. Now, I'm old. I'm 42 years old. So, I grew up... I lived a long life of playing video games, and never had to pre-order anything. We didn't pre-order Commodore 64 games. You went into Toys R Us or Babbage's, and you picked out the game that you wanted. It was on the shelf, and and you bought it. That was it. There was none of this pre-order stuff. It's, it's so ridiculous. So I was on the fence about buying Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, my PC won't run it. You know, the recommended specs for Star Wars Battlefront are 8 gigs of RAM, and a four gig video card. Uh, that's no, that's the minimum recommended is sixteen gigs of RAM. And uh, by the time I upgraded my PC, it was going to be cheaper for me to buy a PlayStation Four. So I kind of made the uh, what do they call it um, in football, where you where you change the plan, like uh, you know, <laughs> like on the field. I just kind of changed the plan at the last minute. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go get a PlayStation Four. So my son and I, after work on Tuesday, hopped in the car after I picked him up from school. We drove over, and I would, you know, I like GameStop. I like my local GameStop. And so I popped in there, and I said, hey, I'm wanting to get that Star Wars Battlefront uh, package, you know, the bundle. And the guy looked at me like I was the dumbest person on the planet. He actually made this sound. He went, like that. (laughs) I don't know that's an appropriate sound to make to your customers, uh, but in this case it was, uh, well, I don't know that it was appropriate, but that's the sound he made. Uh, and he said to me, you can't just come in here on launch day and expect to buy a bundle like that. And then he looked at the other guy and they kind of went <laughs> like that. So he made two sounds. He made the <laughs> sound and then he made the <laughs> sound. Uh, and so I just stood there 
And I was like, okay, my GameStop, the GameStop that's near my house is exactly, I mean, it's a 30-second walk to Walmart. And so we went over to Walmart uh, and bought the Battlefront bundle. It was right there on the shelf. I also bought a controller. By the way, if you buy the limited edition PlayStation 4 with Darth Vader on there, plus uh, one game and a controller with tax, that's going to set you back $518. Just thought I'd throw that number out there. It's a ridiculous amount of money uh, to play. I mean, for me, I'll probably play one single game. I may get some other games eventually on the PS4, but I bought it for Battlefront. I have a, a history... Uh, if you listen to the You Don't Know Flack episode about Star Wars games, um, you know what? I'm going to play a Star Wars game for the next episode of Sprite Castle. There's another uh, on-the-field <laughs> change of plans. Uh, but it, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's that its that treating of your customers that I, I already don't agree with the, the pre-order thing. Uh, but then to treat people like they're stupid because they didn't do it or didn't know about it. Uh, and to make that sound at customers, I don't like that. Uh, and so, you know, I know a lot of people have issues with Walmart, uh, the way that they can affect local economies, uh, the way that they treat some of their employees. I know people that work for Walmart that are perfectly happy, but, um, you know, some, I don't know. There's a lot of things to not like about Walmart. You know, you can say, uh, there's a lot of things that Walmart doesn't do right, but one thing they do do right. I hate saying do do together. Um, but one thing they do do right is they have things on the shelves that people want to buy. So you GameStop, you can have your little attitude. Good for you. I'm glad, uh, you can look down on people that don't pre-order games. Uh, but really what you should just say is no, we don't have enough of them. We sold out and too bad for you. And that would be fine. You could just say that, uh, and save me the little speech. And maybe next time I will just go to Walmart in the first place. Uh, because they had exactly what I wanted and the people were very friendly. Um, I tell you what, boy, am I going off on a Walmart rant? I don't care for the fact that, um, they keep things under lock and key in the electronics department. And I'm not necessarily talking about the video games, video games, uh, Star Wars Battlefront, the deluxe edition is $70. So I get it that you want to lock that up. Uh, but uh, a couple of months ago, I bought a Chromecast, which I've been wanting to experiment with and just play with and see how it works. Chromecast is $35, and those are locked up. I had to wait to get a sales associate with keys to come uh, unlock this $35 purchase and then hold it for me until I was ready to check out, which I thought was even more odd because you could buy a lot of things that cost a lot more money than $35. And it's not like this is a... Uh, easy item to shoplift. It's in a big cardboard box with a security thing on it. So I don't see how that would be, uh, you know, any easier to shoplift than, you know, uh, or maybe a rifle <laughs> from the gun section. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't like that being treated like a criminal, but you know what? I, if uh, they have Star Wars Battlefront 2 when it comes out eventually, inevitably, then I will uh, probably go to Walmart. By the way, I had to pay $50 to play online, too. I didn't add that to the cost. <laughs> so it's $568 for me to be the worst freaking Star Wars Battlefront player of all time. There is uh, there's nobody involved in the Rebellion or the Empire that should be handing me the keys to those spaceships because I have crashed more... <laughs> 
I'm going to bring an end to the rebellion, not due to fighting, but from bankruptcy, because I have crashed so many X-Wing fighters. I've tried the multi, you know, I'm I'm not a first-person shooter. I'm an old-school gamer. I'd much rather play 8-bit games. The only reason I got this is because it's Star Wars, and I love Star Wars so much. Um, But I'm just not good at those games. I'd much rather be, um, is there a guy like an ambassador? where I could just walk around and if I could do that, walk around and look at the levels while other people fight and I could just kind of float around like Obi-Wan's ghost witnessing things, that would be perfect because uh, really when I'm in the trenches and I start shooting my gun, really that's just like, I might as well be shooting a flare gun. I mean, when I fire my laser, it's like telling people, hey, here's where you can kill me. And then that's exactly what they do. (laughs) You know, the only thing, this is the last thing I want to say. The only thing uh, worse in that stupid game than getting killed uh, by people, I mean, when you never see it coming, the only thing that's worse is whenever it says, Flag 405 killed by himself, which happens more than you would think. I mean, every on the level of indoor when I'm flying the speeder bike and I, I have hit every tree in the whole freaking forest. <laughs> There's not a tree in indoor that does not have my blood on it. Uh, or, you know, I I am the guy that will throw himself on a grenade to save the lives of my fellow soldiers. But unfortunately it's also my grenade. <laughs> it's like, I will try to throw a grenade and then it's sitting there at my feet and I'm like, look out. Boom. <laughs> Flag four or five killed by himself. So anyway, there's your star, uh, star Wars battlefront update. I will probably not talk about battlefront again, uh, on this Commodore podcast, but boy, oh boy, has it been uh, a fun couple of days. I, last month, was searching Craigslist. I have an alert set up on Craigslist, searching for Commodore. I believe that it's just a key term, Commodore. Uh, so anytime there is a Craigslist ad that has the word Commodore. By the way, there are a lot of Commodore cars and Commodore boats that show up on the Oklahoma Craigslist. Um, but uh, occasionally, Commodore 64 sales will come up, and a lot of them are ridiculous. There's uh, one that keeps popping up for a Commodore 64 uh, with a disk drive and a printer and a couple other things. So it's kind of a complete system with a few disks, but it's like $200. Uh, first of all, I have many Commodore 64s and disk drives, uh, so I really don't need that. But I, I just like looking at the ads. But uh, one popped up about a month ago, and uh, it was a, an estate sale. And I wrote a blog post. So if you follow RobOHara.com, you may have already uh, read this post. But uh, th- there was an estate sale. There were a lot of tools for sale. It was a rainy day. And then at the bottom of the ad, it said Commodore 64 computers and Atari computers. Uh, So I decided to go out there. The estate sale started at 9 a.m. I got there at 9.05, and there were at least 50 cars waiting in line. Uh, So I had to park at the end of this huge line. I was literally like a quarter mile away. I walked up to this house. It's raining. And there were a lot of tools for sale. So a lot of the people that were at the sale were looking at the tools. I know different types of tools. Like, I, you know, I know the difference between drills and saws and wrenches. But this guy had, like, ten different drills. Like, I don't know why you would need so many different drills uh, and different saws and, and you know, just, just acres, it seemed like, of tools and different things. He had a lot of old radio equipment and ham equipment and speakers and all kinds of vintage electronics. 
but I, I did find the Commodore 64 section and everything in the Commodore area was being sold as a single lot for a hundred dollars. And there were a couple of disc drives, a couple of Commodores. There was a Commodore plus four in the box. I have all of these things. What I was really looking for was a box of discs. That's my favorite thing. I've, I've bought lots on eBay before of, uh, used Commodore 64 discs just to go through them and poke around and look at, you know, other people's disc collections of games. And sometimes I've found things that I've, I've actually archived. I, uh, through Craigslist, uh, several years ago, I bought a Commodore 64 collection locally and the owner had been the librarian for a local Commodore 64 user group. And I archived all that software and uploaded it to the net. It was had a lot of basic programs and, and a few other things that nobody else had, had archived. It got added, uh, you know, kind of to the collective out there Commodore collection. So I was glad to do that. So I was looking for that. And it just wasn't, you know, uh, the logistics. I was going to have to haul all this stuff back to my car. I would have to make multiple trips to my car, which was a quarter mile away in the rain, hauling this stuff and and there just wasn't anything in there that I needed, but, uh, but I like seeing it. And then I looked at the Atari computer collection. I don't have an Atari computer. I used to have an Atari 800, I think, but I never had the power supply. And I think I just got rid of it at some point, but, uh, there were, there were a lot of, uh, Atari computers and disc drives and, and cassette like data sets and a big thing of discs. But it was again, all together as a single lot for 160. And I just, you know, just couldn't pull the trigger on it. Uh, I, w- I was thinking about going back the next day to see if they'd lowered the prices, but I didn't make it back out there. So, uh, but you know, there's still vintage stuff out there to be had. There are still people that had old computers and, and video games and stuff back, uh, in the eighties and nineties and that are old enough now that are passing away or passing those things on. So don't give up if you're out there, uh, if you're in the hunt, like I am always going out there looking for the next, uh, good purchase or good buy of stuff. Uh, don't give up. There's still stuff out there. Let's get on to some Commodore 64 news before we talk about this week's game. Uh, there is a new disc magazine out there called Dawn. Dawn number one has been released. Everything I mentioned in this area, I will add links to in the show notes. So I'm not going to say that after everyone. Uh, but uh, the disc magazine... If you're not familiar with that, it was a the electronic kind of version of e-zines. They were passed around on BBSs, so it's an actual program that you load, and it'll have news stories, articles, interviews, things like that, uh, usually music. So it's kind of a demo uh, in a way, but also, uh, you know, it's a, a magazine that people passed around. And uh, they're, they're very interesting that if you look at some of the old ones that are out there to see what people are doing as far as graphics and, and music and things like that. But this is a brand new one called Dawn, uh, and that has been released. There's a new game. I just tried this game last night. It's called Quad Init Exit. Uh, you are a hungry pig on the uh, on this game, and you run around, you eat food, and you leave little piles of pig poop. And it's very colorful, very enjoyable. Uh, it's a quick type game. It's not one that you're going to have to spend a lot of time learning how to play. Uh, but, uh, that was just recently released. So I, I enjoyed playing that last night. There is a Kickstarter out there to kickstart the quote, world's smallest Commodore 64 emulator. That is called the Memoir 2. The original Memoir was from the same developer, but was not for sale. It was more of a project. Uh, so this is the Memoir 2. It is pretty small. I looked at it. I mean, I don't know how to 
tell you how small it is. It's a tiny PCB. I mean, probably a half the size, a third of the size, maybe of a playing card. I mean, it's really small PCB. And one thing that separates this apart from other emulators is that it requires a real SID chip. Now I just read a news article this morning that someone is working on creating a replica SID chip, a new version of the SID with some enhanced features like more voices and things like that. So, uh, but it will be a drop in replacement of the SID chip, but not included with the memoir too. So I'm not sure, uh, what the goal price is because it's not mentioned in the Kickstarter, there are only a couple of levels to pledge at the Kickstarter. Now, the Kickstarter uh, goal is not high, I believe. Let me look here again. The goal is uh, a little over $3,500. So that's definitely not a lot of money for a Kickstarter, uh, especially to launch you know, a, a PCB like this. Uh, but unfortunately, it appears right now that it's at about a third of its goal with 24 hours to go. So um, I'm not sure what the target audience for this is, I mean, if you're a home user, I don't think this is for you. If you're a home user, we have lots and lots of ways to use the Commodore 64. You can use a vintage one. You can use an emulator. You can use, uh, you know, an FPGA, like on the mist or the chameleon, things like that. So there are lots and lots and lots of ways, uh, to either use the real Commodore 64 or emulate, uh, the Commodore 64. But being so small, I guess the idea is that you would take this and embed it into other projects. Um, but I don't know that people would need to do that. And, and you know, space would have to be really uh, a premium for you to need this because, gosh, you know, for just a little bit more space, I mean, maybe twice the space, you could put a Raspberry Pi and, you know, have a whole lot more computing power in there. So I, I don't really know what the market is. I'm not sure I fully understand that, but, um, uh, you know, I'm always for anything, uh, Commodore related. So, uh, I don't, it doesn't look like this maybe may not make it a Kickstarter goal, but, uh, uh, maybe they'll come back and redress it. I think, you know, a lot of times when I kickstart something, what I'm looking for is I'm in, you know, giving some money and I'm looking for that level that I will get the end product. And there's not that entry for, uh, this Kickstarter. There's just, uh, you'll, you know, have your name mentioned or help us out, that sort of thing. So maybe if, if, uh, you know, there was a level that said, you know, for X amount of dollars, uh, you know, you'll get one of these, uh, memoirs whenever they're, finally developed, then that might get more people. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll uh, retool that Kickstarter and give it another go here. There's a brand new Commodore 64 game. There's a lot of Commodore 64 games uh, always coming out, but there's one called Athenor, The Awakening. Uh, and what sets this game apart is, uh, well, a few things. Uh, it was originally developed for the Amstrad, Amstrad uh, but it has been ported to the C64. It's being ported to the VIC-20. Uh, it is the first game of a trilogy, but it is not available for download. It is uh, a game that you purchase. I believe it's 20 pounds uh, available. I think it's 25 shipped to the U.S. The uh, packaging, I looked at it online, looks really good. Um, and so I, I think a lot of Commodore 64 enthusiasts are at a different time in their life now than we were in their 80s when I, when I you know first got my Commodore uh, I, I didn't have the financial means 
to purchase software. I mean, maybe one game, you know, every few months or something, but not, you know, hundreds at a time, which is how we were, you know, acquiring them. Uh, but now I think a lot of these people are in their 30s, 40s, or 50s, uh, and they have good jobs and they can afford to not only invest in games and things that they believe in, uh, but, uh, you know, support people that are developing cool stuff. So it's not just the game, but this whole packaging that comes with this. So uh, that is Athenar, The Awakening. Apparently it's the first game in a trilogy of adventures that are planned. So that's kind of interesting. Unfortunately, I can't buy it because uh, three words, Star Wars Battlefront. <laughs> I'm broke. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll throw the link out there to that. So that's uh, something worth looking at. Uh, there is a new version of ARC-64, version 2.8, that has been released. ARC-64 is a tool for compressing and decompressing Commodore 64 programs. I guess uh, other Commodore computers as well. Um, but this is uh, kind of a, for me, was a lost art. I remembered compressing stuff when I was a kid trying to get, uh, you know, there were games that maybe that had hidden files or stuff, and you could compress it into these zip packs which were like four files, and then you would transfer those, and then someone could unzip, um, you know, not unsimilar or dissimilar to uh, PKZip like we use today. Uh, but um, it it's, can be difficult to go back and try to figure out how we did that stuff 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Uh, and so this is uh, ARC64 is a tool that does that. And so if you happen to download a game that's in one of those zipped formats, then this is an easy way to extract those games so that you can uh, play them again. Uh, and finally, I want to mention this. I, I've kind of been following this. I follow uh, Robert Bernardo, uh, who is a big supporter of Commodore computers. He has been for a long time. I had the uh, pleasure of meeting Robert at uh, a few times at uh, couple of different conferences at uh, Comvex and Nauticon, and he's just a super, super smart uh, guy who, every time I see a picture of him and he's around a Commodore, his face is lit up. It's like almost like a childlike enthusiasm of the Commodore 64. He is constantly uh, doing you know, things to uh, further this hobby, and, and he's a really good guy. And so I, I saw a post from him recently about a new Commodore 128 VGA adapter. I guess this debuted at Comvex this year. Um, it's I, This isn't really a out-of-the-box solution, apparently. Uh, from what I read, there's a, a video converter. I mean, this you need this piece, which is uh, CGA to RGB. And this piece costs about $40, but... To get it to work, you have to hook it to another video converter, uh, which costs about $20, and it has its own power supply, and there are a lot of ribbons connecting all these things together. Uh, so I got a feeling that this is kind of like mm, version 1.0. Like, eventually somebody will have just a box that you can plug into the back of your uh, 128 or something like that and, and connect it to... Uh, you know, a modern type monitor. And that's, that's the problem here. You know, for a, a Commodore 128 getting into 80 column mode, uh, you know, you're going to have to have that special monitor or special cables or whatever. So to be able to do that with modern monitors would be a nice solution. Uh, I don't, you, know, you have to decide for yourself if, uh, if that's a $60 thing that you need in your life. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I got a feeling, like I said, eventually these things will kind of be streamlined to where it will just, you know, be shrunk. Everything shrinks right. And down into, uh, you know, one single box 
and uh, you know more of a, a plug-and-play type solution. So I'd expect to see that someday. But anyway, if you want to go check that out, uh, I will add the link to that. And now let's get to the king of the castle. The king of the castle for the last episode was nobody, and that is entirely my fault. I uh, overcompensated too far. Everybody was getting the king of the castle answers really quickly, and so I decided to make the song more obscure, a lot more obscure, and it backfired on me, and nobody was able to get the song. The uh, song that was played near the end of the episode was from the Commodore 64 game, the master of the lamps. Now I mentioned master of the lamps in the episode a few times. Uh, and also in all of my podcasts, and this may send people scurrying to go back and look, uh, but for a long time now I've been putting little hints or secrets or comments or random things in the song lyrics section of the podcast. I do that with pretty much all of my shows. And so I put the lyrics to the master of puppets <laughs> in the last episode, which I thought might key somebody into looking at master of the lamps, but nobody made that connection. And that was my fault. So, uh, I haven't actually picked a song for this episode yet. I will pick something probably in post, uh, but it won't be that hard again. So, uh, again, my apologies on that. The throne is very cold and dusty uh, and lonely this time, and I'm recording all by myself this week with nobody joining me here in the castle. So, again, that's my bad, uh, and we will uh, retool again for this episode. If you'd like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits, the song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. Once you've identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be the next king of the castle. All those contacts are listed during the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines, brought to you by my local paperboy who just ran into the damn Grim Reaper. Am I great or what? Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. For this week, uh, I sat down to play Gremlins, and during the game, there's a lot of food involved, and right off the bat, one of the first things you'll see is these chicken legs of fried chicken. And I thought, boy, I'm going to get some fried chicken <laughs> and play me some gremlins. Now, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Church's Chicken, uh, but we have several Church's Chickens uh, locations here in Oklahoma City, and about a month ago, they were all closed down. Apparently, Church's Chicken has not been paying their local state taxes. They collect the taxes when you buy the chicken, but they don't give the taxes to the Oklahoma State Tax Commission Board. Uh, so they take the money telling you that you have to pay taxes, but then they spend it presumably on chicken. <laughs> I don't know what they spend things on, but lots of chicken. So I did not have that, but I had Popeye's fried chicken right down the street from me, I, you know, five minutes away, 10 minutes away, just past Church's Chicken as a Popeye's chicken. I have not had uh, Popeye's chicken in a while. They're 
was a Popeye's chicken uh, that I used to go to, but it was a very dangerous place. <laughs> it was just in a bad part of town, and I was always worried somebody's going to kill me in the drive-thru. Uh, but, uh, that never happened. But now there's a Popeye's chicken much closer to me. So I went over, uh, and I got a, uh, actually I got a lunch thing, like two pieces of chicken and, uh, some mashed potatoes and, and I got some, uh, fried okra. It was really good. And I could just feel how greasy <laughs> everything was in there, but I did enjoy, uh, me some Popeye's fried chicken. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Introducing Popeye's all so that is what I ate this week while I was working on this episode, and we will be talking more about fried chicken here very shortly as we begin discussing this week's game, which is Gremlins. Gremlins was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Atari Soft. It is a game for one or two players, and it uses joystick and keyboard controls. Now, this is the second Atari Soft game we have covered. On episode 10 of Sprite Castle, we talked about Track and Field, which was also released by Atari Soft. Atari Soft released 15 games for the Commodore 64. 14 of those 15 games were arcade conversions, like Centipede, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and Robotron. And one of the 15 games was not an arcade conversion, and that was Gremlins. Moby Games does not have any specific information about the programmers of the Commodore 64 version of Gremlins. However, they do have uh, the people who developed the Atari 5200 version of Gremlins, and I believe that version was first and all the other versions were ports of that version. I'm not entirely sure of that, but based on um, dates and, and what I could find, that's the way it looks. Uh, the 5200 version was designed and programmed by John Seggers, who also did Countermeasure for the 5200. Graphics were done by Courtney Graner, who did graphics for Pingo, uh, Rogue, and World Games. Now, I have to take exception to saying you did the graphics for Rogue, because if you've ever played Rogue, <laughs> the graphics are uh, ASCII characters. <laughs> different colors. Uh, I suppose maybe uh, Courtney drew the tombstone when you die. I don't know, maybe. Uh, and then the sounds were from uh, Robert Vieira. Uh, Robert has done a lot of audio for different games, including Millipede, Crystal Castles, Gremlins, Rampage, California Games, and the game Summer Edition, uh, and for different platforms. He also did the uh, wrote a lot of the story and dialogue for Diablo 2, so that's pretty cool. Unfortunately, because I blew the entire uh, winter budget on Star Wars Battlefront, I cannot afford uh, sound clips, so I will just have to do them manually this time. This just in, PayPal payments. 
<laughs> People are paying to hear the actual sound clips. <laughs> Roll them. So the pop culture context of this game, obviously, uh, this was hot on the heels of the hit movie Gremlins. Gremlins was written by Christopher Columbus. I guess it's Chris Columbus he goes by. Christopher Columbus uh, wrote uh, something else. <laughs> he wrote Columbus Day. Uh, it was directed by Joe Dante with music from Jerry Goldsmith and produced by Michael Finnell, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, and Steven Spielberg. You may have heard of one or more of those people. Gremlins was a uh, hit movie. It was very successful, and there was a huge rush of uh, Gremlins merchandise to follow and Gremlins video games. The box and manual, this is a typical Atari soft-looking box. If you have not seen those, they were released in a single color, and then in the upper right-hand corner, uh, it looks like the cover is peeling back to reveal a little picture. Each one, the color of the box, uh, correlates to the platform. I think I mentioned this in the other episodes. So uh, all the Commodore 64 Atari soft games were green. The Texas Instrument ones were yellow. IBM PC were blue. Uh, I believe uh, Atari or uh, Apple were red. I believe uh, so. Anyway, you could you could go find easily find all the Commodore 64 ones uh, because they would all be green. In that little fold down in the corner, you have uh, a Mogwai Gizmo being chased by a bunch of gremlins. You can see Stripe in there, so uh, a lot of a lot of tiebacks to the movie. The back cover of the box is very interesting, and I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at a picture of it. Um, it says Gremlins on the top, and then there's this giant piece of artwork that kind of shows what uh, is going on in the game, but it's done very plain, flat cartoon version. Like It's almost like someone's first attempt at doing vector graphics, like line art, uh, because uh, everything is just very plain looking. Uh, there are, uh, let's see, two gremlins here in the picture, and they are identical. And then there are one, two, three, four, five, six Mogwai, and they are all identical. So it's like someone has cut and pasted uh, those. And then we see Billy, our protagonist, who we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, in the middle. Now, the left-hand side of the box has uh, basically a plug for AtariSoft. It says the world's most popular games uh, can be yours to play at home now that Atari makes them for the Commodore 64, and it talks uh, about that. And then there's a little plug at the end that says um, AtariSoft will be making new software, including educational management and productivity programs. I don't know why you advertise that to people that are buying Gremlins, uh, but whatever. On the right-hand side... Uh, is a whole list of all the Atari Soft games available for the Commodore 64. So, so far, all the text on the back is really just advertisements for Atari Soft. Uh, and it has a whole list here, um, you know, Pac-Man. It's funny that they're all listed, uh, well, not all, I should say. Uh, they're kind of listed alphabetically, uh, but with different things, like Pac-Man is first, and then it goes into Centipede, Defender, Dig Dug, Donkey Kong. Uh, it's kind of strange, the way that it's listed. Uh, and of course, Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are in all caps. Uh, I don't know if that's to draw attention to them. I don't know. Kind of weird. The uh, bottom part of the text uh, has trademark information for Commodore 64, that Atari is a, uh, 
uh, Warner's Communication Company, copyright from 19, or, uh, 1984 from Atari, and tells you that it requires uh, Commodore 64 disk drive and joysticks. Uh, but then there is the only information that actually portray, or, uh, pertains to the game. Uh, there is a, a warning, like a, a uh, you know danger kind of. Uh, yellow, almost like a construction sign that says, cute, cuddly, mischievous, clever, and dangerous. Based on the spellbinding movie, warning, do not feed after midnight or get them wet. You were warned. Now look at the mess. The Mogwai have multiplied and some have turned into gremlins. Can you keep them away from the refrigerator and out of the water? Can you pick up the food, turn off the corn popper, collect the Mogwai and slash out at the gremlins before the gremlins get you? So that tells you basically what you're going to be doing uh, in this game. We'll take a quick look at the manual here. This episode's dragging on a little bit, so I don't want to spend too much time on the manual. Um, but um, uh, the manual is six pages long, and the first page, uh, the cover is just a giant... It's the picture that appears on the front cover, but the front cover, it's very small, and you only see a portion of it. Uh, the front cover of the manual has this whole painting of Gizmo running away uh, from the gremlins. Uh, then, uh, page two of the manual has information about, uh, just the controls, which I'll talk about here in just a second. Page three says the plot Rand Peltzer, which is, uh, Billy's father discovers the Mogwai in a Hong Kong trinket shop. Rand is enchanted by the fluffy little creature and insists on buying it with Mogwai comes much responsibility, warns the wise old owner of the shop. Three absolute rules for the care and feeding of the Mogwai are, number one, keep them away from water. Uh, water makes them multiply. Number two, keep them out of light. They hate bright light. It will kill them. And number three, most important thing, the thing you must never forget is no matter how much they cry, no matter how much they beg, never, never feed them after midnight. If you do, they'll hatch into gremlins. Rand presents the Mogwai to his son Billy for Christmas. Billy names his adorable pet Gizmo in honor of his dad's business, which is inventing gadgets and gizmos. I never knew that. I never caught that in the movie. Maybe I haven't. I don't remember if they ever said that. It's just been a long time since I saw that. Uh, but I didn't know that's where the name Gizmo came from. So there's your trivia fact for the episode. <laughs> When Billy's friend accidentally spills water on Gizmo, five Mogwai spring out of the original one. Billy cages the Mogwai in his living room, but they break out for a midnight snack. As the game opens, things look really grim. Or is that grim? And then it's spelled G-R-E-M, like gremlins. Uh, so, it could be either one. Uh, the next page on the manual says on the set, and that basically tells you what you're supposed to do here in the game. Uh, then it says special props. It explains what the things are that you will see on the screen. These are all things I'll be talking about in more detail shortly. Uh, then it, uh, yep. Goes on here. Uh, here's the Peltzer popcorn popper. Uh, it talks about that. Uh, and then it talks about the different types of levels that we will see. And then the score. And at the end, there are some improvisational tips, uh, which are completely, pointless if you play the game for more than two minutes everything in the tip section you will figure out on your own the title screen that boots up uh the title screen is the menu screen like a lot of these uh types of games it shows the high score at the top the high score does not save so it resets every time you load 
The function keys F1 starts the game, F3 controls the number of players, one or two, and it is a alternating type game, so there's not simultaneous play. Uh, and F5 varies the starting night. Uh, every, every level is a different night, and you can start anywhere from uh, level 1 to level 23. I think it skips about three levels in between each one, so uh, you can pick the difficulty where you want to start. You control Billy Peltzer, the protagonist of the movie as well. Using the joystick, you move Billy in all eight directions. And the fire button swings his sword. I'm not sure I remember Billy having a sword and slaying gremlins in the movie, but that's what's happening here. The space bar pauses the game. Uh, F7 releases a camera flash. Now you have three camera flashes, and when the flash goes off... All the gremlins and mogwai on the screen will freeze. The problem with this is they only freeze for about a second. <laughs> so this isn't uh, very useful. And you have to take your hand off the joystick and find the, the function key. Now, on a real 64, you know, it's F7 is the bottom function key, so it's not that hard. But uh, uh, on, a, uh, uh, on an emulator, you know, on a PC keyboard, you got to stop what you're doing, reach up and find F7 real quick. And it's, it's not really worth the effort, in my opinion. Now, while you're playing, if you hit F1, it aborts the game and goes to the main menu. Found that one out on accident, folks. Uh, it is listed in the manual, but uh, I don't... I mean, if you want to end this game, run into three gremlins in a row, it'll take you like five seconds. So I don't know why they needed to uh, devote a button to stopping the game, but they did. Uh, and then you pick up Mogwai and food by simply walking over them. The game takes place in Billy's house. The goal of each level is to clear all the gremlins and mogwai or simply survive until 6 a.m. You'll see a little clock going through uh, game time. In the upper right-hand corner is the cage that the manual talked about. This is where you must go uh, put all the mogwai. So you're going to run around the level, touch a mogwai, and pick them up and take them back to the cage. Um, now, you'll also see lots of gremlins around. And gremlins you kill with your sword. So you have the, I always thought it was a walking cane, like the way he's carrying it. Like when I was a kid, I thought he was just walking around with a cane, but it is a sword. Uh, you kill the gremlins. The gremlins, if they get to the cage, will open the cage door and let all the mogwai out, and you'll have to recollect them. Uh, then there are a few other things around each level. First, there's uh, puddles of water, as you know uh, from the movie and from the manual. Water makes uh, gremlins and mogwai multiply. Actually, they just split into two. So anytime that a mogwai or a gremlin walks into a puddle of water, the water disappears and they split into two characters. There's also food scattered around the levels. And the food, uh, mogwais will eat it and turn into gremlins. So you can pick up the food first if you're fast enough and run around and do that. So you want to do that as quickly as you can. Uh, there is a television in some levels, and if you run and touch the television, it will turn on. You'll see static on the screen. It kind of flashes, and uh, gremlins and mogwai are attracted to the television. They will Anybody that walks in front of it will just freeze and watch the TV, so that makes it really easy to collect the mogwai uh, and kill the gremlins. You can just walk up behind them and stab them with the sword. There's a refrigerator, which is kind of a double whammy because it shoots out ice cubes and food. Uh, so if there's a gremlin over near it, you want to go kill the gremlin uh, and get him to stop throwing things out. But uh, you, you can never really stop it. It, does, it seems like it's always shooting stuff out. 
so it's constantly shooting food that your uh, mogwai will want to eat. And it's also shooting out ice cubes, which will melt into little puddles and split everybody into two. Uh, so the refrigerator's a pain in the butt. There's also the uh, Peltzer Popcorn Popper, as I mentioned <laughs> in the manual. It's down near the bottom. And when it goes off, it just starts shooting popcorn everywhere, which, of course, popcorn is food, and Mogwai's will eat it and turn into gremlins. So if you run down and touch the popcorn popper, you will turn it off, but you'll still need to run around and collect all the popcorn. Now, the food coming from the fridge, you know, there's a piece of cheesecake here, there's a turkey leg or a chicken leg there. The popcorn popper shoots popcorn everywhere. I mean, there will be, you know, two dozen pieces of popcorn in no time, so you got to shut that thing down fast. Uh, and then finally, as I mentioned, uh, F7 does the uh, the flash, like a camera flash, which, um, uh, again, lasts such a short amount of time. But if you do need that moment to um, uh, attack gremlins, I guess, then uh, you hit F7 and you'll freeze everybody. three different types of levels in this game. Uh, the first level is uh, types that have mixed gremlins and mogwai. So as I mentioned, the goal of that is to kill all the gremlins and return all the mogwai. There's another type of level that starts with all gremlins. And so the goal of that is just to kill all the gremlins and not get killed. And then third, there's levels that have all mogwai. And the goal of that, again, is to return them all to the cage. Now, the ones with all mogwai will have lots of food and things trying to turn them into gremlins. So you have to uh, do that really quickly. The scoring, according to the manual, you get seven points for each piece of food you collect, a uh, hundred points for each gremlin you kill, a hundred points also for collecting them in their pupa stage. That's P-U-P-A, I believe, pupa. Uh, but that is uh, when they've eaten food, when a mogwai eats food and he's turning into a gremlin. He doesn't stay in that stage for long, and really there's no advantage to getting him in that stage versus when he's a gremlin and just stabbing him. You get nine bonus points for every minute left on the clock before six o'clock. Uh, and then for each mogwai that you get, uh, it's a bonus stage. Uh, so you get, I think 50 points for the first one and then 150 for the next and, and 200 for the next. I, I think it starts at 50. So it's 50, 100, 150, so on and so forth like that. Uh, and then you get an extra man every 10,000 points, which is not terribly hard to do in this game. Uh, the high score, according to RetroComputerScene.com, I said I was going to start looking those up. The high score on there is 288,539 by Mitch Frenzel. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a, a relatively easy game uh, to get score, to get a high score. It's also a relatively easy game overall. Um I could not find any online reviews for this game. I couldn't find any magazine reviews. I'm sure uh, that they were out there, but uh, I didn't find links to any uh, reviews. This game appeared on uh, four different systems, the Apple II, the Atari 5200, the Commodore 64, and the uh, PC. The colors of this game, the color palettes are very interesting. I got a feeling... Uh, I talked about this, I think, on the Datasoft games, like Conan. Uh, I haven't done Conan, but uh, uh, like on uh, Goonies, where 
it doesn't seem like the Commodore 64 palette is being taken advantage of. It's like there was a quick port. Maybe the Apple version was done first, and they just ported the code over and didn't really, like, redo the graphics or redo, you know, try to make it more colorful or take advantage of, uh, you know, the Commodore 64's capabilities. And this game is exactly the same. Uh, on the Apple II version, uh, it's different. Uh, the Gremlins are green and white, and the Mogwai are also green and white, which is not uh, <laughs> how they appear in the movie. Uh, the Atari 5200 and Commodore 64 versions look similar, and the Gremlins and the Mogwai are both brown and yellow uh, palettes. And then the PC booter version, the DOS, old DOS version, uh, is in CGA, so it looks terrible. And uh, <laughs> both the Mogwai and the Gremlins are made up out of green and brown. So a little bit of difference between the versions. Graphically, they're they're all fairly similar, um, but uh, none of them, they all look muddy. You know, they all just have this weird color palette, and it's hard when you have uh, brown Mogwai and green Gremlins. I get that, but um, yeah, it just doesn't, the graphics don't look very good. Uh, there were a couple of other... Uh, Gremlins games released. There's one called Gremlins the Adventure, uh, which is from Adventure International, Scott Adams' company, and it is a graphical text adventure. Uh, and it follows the story of the movie pretty closely, from what I understand. That was released uh, the following year in 85. Uh, there's also a 1990 game called Gremlins 2, the new batch released by Elite. There is a Gremlins game for the Atari 2600, but it is not the same as these uh, games as this version of Gremlins for the Commodore, uh, the 5200, and Apple, and uh, DOS. That is a different uh, game. One thing I would like to mention on the technical, uh, not limitations, but I don't know how they did this, but there are lots and lots of times where there are more, almost every time, there are more than eight sprites on the screen. I mean, sometimes there are three times that many with all the gremlins and mogwais and pieces of fruit uh, or food, you know, laying around in the puddles. So uh, they they definitely must have had to do some, some programming trickery. It's not just plain sprites, you know, uh, being done here. So I don't, I don't know exactly how that was accomplished, but, um, but it's very impressive. The amount of things, the trade-off is it's very slow when there are a lot of things. So if you skip forward to, um, like night 23, I think is the highest you can start. Uh, you will find a screen that's almost completely filled with gremlins with you standing in the middle. And when the level starts, everything moves really slow and there's no problem going around. And after you kill so many gremlins, things start moving faster and they're moving a little faster and then you kill more and then things move a little faster. Uh, and so the less things that are on the screen, the faster the game runs. And it does that both in emulation and on a real 64. I played it both ways this week. And this makes some of the higher levels difficult because you may be chasing one gremlin to kill it, and the minute you kill it, the game speeds up, and the other gremlin that's chasing behind you instantly speeds up and runs over and gets you. So that, that can make it uh, a little more difficult. That being said, this game is not very difficult. All you have to do, really, is point towards gremlins and press the fire button to swing your sword over and over and over. And your sword has a longer reach than the gremlin's claws, so... Uh, unless one sneaks up on you or you get cornered or something, it's pretty easy uh, to play for a long time. And now let's get into my personal memories of Gremlins. All right, time traveler, seatbelt fastener, 
this game gremlins a lot as a kid i did not play it on the commodore 64 however i played it on the apple II. this is one of the games we had uh on our apple II. i think uh like a lot of games uh, i don't know why uh, i mean in retrospect i understand uh commodore's decision uh, from a financial standpoint to use the traditional db9 joystick port but man oh man are there a lot of games that play a lot better with two buttons instead of one button. So I have lots of memories of playing games on the Apple using uh, the joystick. Now, I don't think the joysticks were necessarily better. We had one of those big blocky uh, Archer, I think, brand uh, joysticks with the little sliders, you know, to uh, calibrate the analog control. But it had two buttons, and so there were a lot of games that you played like Load Runner and things like that, that were just better with two fire buttons. So I remember playing Gremlins on the Apple II, and one button swung the sword, and the other button set off your little flashes. Now, the flashes are such a non-selling point of the game. I mean, it's just not integral to beating the levels that it's it doesn't... It doesn't take away that much to have to reach up and hit F7, you know, to uh, set off the flash, but it, it's just another example of... Uh, you know, I just kind of wish that they had gone with a two button joystick design, but they didn't. And so that's, that's, uh, what we're stuck with. I didn't know that this game came out for the Commodore 64 until a few years ago. I downloaded a collection. I believe it's called the arcade collection. It was like 160 disc images or something like that. And each one has a bunch of, uh, arcade style, uh, games for the Commodore 64 and about three discs from the end uh, has a disc with a bunch of games, and Gremlins is on that. So I literally had worked my way all the way through this whole thing before I found that, and I had forgotten all about this game. This is not a game... I don't think a lot of people go, oh, man, I played this game and I loved it as a kid. <laughs> I mean, if you're out there, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I think a lot of people went, eh, that was Gremlins, and then they moved on to uh, uh, something else, you know. So... um uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it as a kid when I played it again. I It brought back those memories. I remember playing it. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like a game that's that difficult. Uh, like I said, I, I sat here and, uh, you know, the first time I picked it up, I made it you know, at least 10 levels in. Uh, and the more I play, the further I get. So uh, it just doesn't seem like a game that uh, is going to hold my attention for the long run, I suppose. For graphics, I give this game three out of five Mogwais. I think the graphics are good, um, but the color palette is so muddy and so few colors are used that it really kind of takes away uh, from the overall graphics. Music, I give the game also three out of five. There's not that much music, and um, what is there is um, a pretty simple little tunes. It doesn't really take advantage of the Sid chip. Uh, for sound effects, I also give it 3 out of 5. They're adequate. Uh, they're not above average. They're not annoying, which is what I would rate something that would be below average. So, overall gameplay, I gave this game a 3 out of 5. That doesn't mean it's bad. It, you know, I would check it out if you want to go play uh, Gremlins and go see what it looks like. Uh, it's probably not a game that you will be playing for years and years to come. 
but it's certainly a game that's fun to try out uh, and, um, and check it out. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. The next game I will be covering is Return of the Jedi. If you would like to play Return of the Jedi before the next show is released, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click on the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast Hotline at 405-486-YDKF. SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at robohair.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening, and make sure your Peltzer Corn Popper is turned off, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle.